Yeah. y'all give it up for our worship team one time come on come on i love it they are uh here week in and week out getting after it and that's a good thing we are blessed i hope that you know that i hope that you know that well good morning grace so i don't need to i don't need to do the feel thing are you sure all right. I don't know whether to be offended or flattered. <laughs> if you don't know, my name's Phil. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I'm blessed to uh, lead our young people here. I see many of you out there. Uh, uh, but even more than that, I just love the Grace family. If you're just grateful for the family of Grace Fellowship Church, could you just, like, like I come here and... It just feels like family. I love walking into a place and you see 500 faces that smile at you and love you and it's just a bunch of spiritual daddies and mommies and aunties and uncles and brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? I got like 30 moms in this room and like 47 dads, all right? It's a weird relationship. Only God works that way. But uh, I don't know about y'all. I came in here a little tired this morning, so I feel like together we got to wake up. You know what I'm saying? We got to acknowledge one another. We got to be family. So I need you to just turn to a neighbor, give him a high five, and say, hey, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. You look good this morning. <laughs> uh-huh. Now pick another brother or sister, give him a high five, and say, hey, neighbor. You could have done better. <laughs> you surely could have. A shower would have went a long way, but I get it. It's hard to get here sometimes. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess we can get going, shall we? Uh, we are in John chapter 11. Let me briefly recap last week. Uh, Zach Vincent killed it last week. It was great having him. <clears throat> I know he was excited to be up here. Uh, but, but quickly, it was funny, like, hearing how he taught that because, you know, different teachers teach different ways. They read things different ways. I'd imagine for uh, those of us in the room who love the Bible and read it a lot, we all probably read a passage and think about it in, like, ten different ways, which is interesting because if I had taught, uh, you know, the raising of Lazarus, in fact, I thought that I was, and Ben told me I wasn't, and I was mad at him. I was like, really? Give me that one. That's a home run waiting to happen. I'd have been like, what in your life do you need to raise up? Hey, man, you know what I'm saying? I'd get fiery about it. But he taught it so well. He taught it so differently than I was. And, and one thing that he said that stuck out to me, and I hope it did to you as well, is he said, what comes out of our graves, God uses, us for, uses for his glory. What comes out of our graves, God uses for his glory. And I just loved that. And that's where we were at last week. We're uh, reading through John 11. Now we're doing uh, 45 through 57. 45 through 57. It's the rest of John 11. And I'm going to be honest with you, before we read this, uh, <clears throat> I read this like, passage, and I even said this to Ben as we talked about it. I was like, 
I feel like this could have been left out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why is this in here? There's not any information. And Ben was like, that's heresy, Phil. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> You're right. God wrote it. We should pay attention to it. But interestingly, I think this is one of those types of sections you'd read and kind of just skip over. Like, okay, this is just like filler information. Let's get to another miracle. Like, let's get to something cool. And as I read it, just 12, 13 verses, I realized that, like, there's a lot in what we don't tend to think is a lot. Like what God can put into something that we might think is filler information is actually the word of God and it's life changing. And I think that that can do us that for us today. So before we read it, I just wanna kinda highlight this. This isn't necessarily a, a passage where you're gonna see some crazy miracle. It's not a passage where you're gonna get a bunch of direct commands of how to live life. In fact, I think what we're gonna do is look at this passage this way. This is a lot of what not to do, all right? <laughs> the Pharisees in what we're about to read are people just getting this really, really wrong. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna read it and learn from their mistakes so, so that we're not boneheads like them, all right? Let's, let's pray and ask God to help us be that. Jesus, I just thank you for you this morning. Um, as I get up here to read your word and, and talk about you, um, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your mercy that it's new for me and for us this morning, that your grace is new for me and for us this morning. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change even when we do. I'm thankful for you. That's why we're here to praise your name. I pray that you would be glorified today um, and that your word would stand and all other words would fall, that we would leave um, not only better in our faith but loving you more. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people, if you don't sing, I'm going to be offended, said, amen. Come on now. Amen. Come on now. Amen. Yeah? Amen. Okay. All right. Not sure which side wasn't on tune, but it was <laughs> one of y'all messed it up. God loved it all. All right. Here we go. Let's read starting in verse 45. It'll be on the screens as well. Many of the Jews, therefore, this is fresh after the story of Lazarus, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, meaning the, the resurrection of, of Lazarus, listen, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him as if that's a bad thing. And the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. That's important. We're going to talk a lot about that. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from, their region, went from there to a region near the wilderness, a town called Ephraim, and they stayed there with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So the first thing we're going to just dissect right off the bat, we're going to get right into it, is out of the first two verses. So 
just such an interesting passage for multiple reasons because one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible has, has happened. Like if you talk to somebody who knows nothing about our faith, they've probably heard of the story of Lazarus, right? I mean, it's one of these shining examples of what Jesus does or at least what we claim and believe that he did, right? And this is directly after it and we're seeing people act certain ways after this amazing thing and I can't help but tune in because they act strangely, in my opinion, versus maybe how I would have chosen to act, or at least how I think I would have chosen to act. So first two verses, we'll put it up on the screen. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen, like, what he did, seen this resurrection, believed in him. Okay, if we stopped right there, the passage makes sense. <laughs> cool. Let's end it and go on to John 12. They, they saw him raise him from the dead, like, okay, that's all we needed. You're, you're God. Let's move on. What's next? But that's not where it stops. Some goofy stuff happens. The next verse, mind-blowing to me, it says, but, there should be no but. Can we just agree? There should be no but here. But, there is one. But, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So you see a man raised from the dead. A guy's claiming he's God. One of, like, some of you are like, yes, you're God. Some of you go tattletale. <laughs> Some of you were like, I got to tell somebody about this. He just, he's supposed to be dead. He's got linen. He just walked back out. I don't know what to do. I'm going to tell on you, okay? You're going to, you're, you're in timeout, Jesus. <laughs> but what, what can we pull out of this, actually, in regards to, like, you know, how, how is this going to apply to us? What can this mean for us as we walk out our faith? And, and I think when we look at a situation like this, two like separate groups who saw the same thing and reacted two different ways, uh, I think if we apply that to today in our lives, aren't there two separate groups who react to Jesus in two separate ways? And, and I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. I'm not talking about what any, I'm talking about saved and not saved, Jesus and not Jesus, here's what I think we need to understand, and I'll tell you why I think this can be encouraging to us. It's this. The work of Jesus will attract some and deter others. The work of Jesus will attract some and deter others. Let me explain why I think this is important and I hope really encouraging for us to grasp before we leave today. There's two sets of people, they see the same thing and they have two very different reactions. Jesus does something amazing and it says, literally tells us, some believed and others went to tattletale. I don't know about you, but that's like, it's mind blowing to me that some people could see this and then walk away. Like, what? is going on in your, your brain, heart, spirit, however you want to define it, that you could see him perform such an amazing miracle and not just fall on your face and be like, you're actually God. You are God in man form. Like, how? How is this real? But what, what, what can we think, what can I, like, we learn about, what we can take away from this is that we shouldn't be surprised when what seems incredible to us actually seems to push others away. We shouldn't be surprised when people can see what Jesus has done maybe in you or in your life or things Jesus is like you've clearly seen and experienced and yet others walk away. We shouldn't be surprised. Like I think there's something that happens to all of us, every single person in this room I think will be able to relate to this, is that we can tend to get discouraged when we experience Jesus. Maybe that's through a worship experience. You're, you're at a worship night and, and gosh, it just hits you, man. Spirit's there and, and, and you experience him that way. Or, or someone just brings you that word at the perfect time. 
Like you needed to hear it. You needed that encouragement. You needed that challenge. And it came right when it was supposed to. Or maybe you're reading the Bible and, and you read a verse that just directly applies to your life, like your current situation. Like I think a lot of us have probably had that because God works that way. Maybe you've seen him heal you or heal someone else. He changes your life. He, he's changing other people. He does something crazy. He's just super clear through this certain experience that you've had. Yet what you want to do when you experience that is what? You want to tell somebody. You're excited. God's real. He's doing cool stuff. You go to tell them, and what happens sometimes, they're just not there. Like, they're not with you. Maybe they just, like, aren't excited with you. Maybe they, in fact, straight just don't believe you. Like, you're trying to tell them about what God's done in your life, and, and not only are they not excited with you, they just don't even believe you. Like, there's, there's pushback to what you're trying to say. And then what's the temptation in that type of situation when we experience doubt of our experiences or pushback of our faith or questioning of things that we claim are going on in our life? The temptation is this, to be discouraged. The temptation is maybe even worse, to actually doubt if it was real. Doubt if it actually happened. Doubt if we actually experienced it. Maybe we literally debate if any of it's even real. Even though we felt it, we experienced it, we saw it. But someone else didn't react the same way. Someone else hasn't experienced it yet. Someone else just isn't there yet. But because of their doubt, because of their lack of faith, their lack of experience, it tends to reflect on us and how we feel about our own personal experience. But like we are the ones who just saw it, right? In this instance, they saw it. They watched it happen. My man came out, even says earlier in the passage, he still had the linen on him. My dude was still mummified. And he walked out. They saw it. What's your experience? Like, you've seen it. You experienced it. You went through it. Yet somehow, we tend to let other people's doubt or lack of experience change how we view our experience. Look at this instance. Two people saw the exact same thing. Not everyone believed it. Not everyone chose to follow it. Can, can I encourage us in something? Can we stop doing that today? Can we stop letting other people's doubt, other people's lack of experience, change what you know you felt, what you know you've seen, what you know you've experienced? If your faith is real to you, it doesn't matter if it's not real to someone else. But how often, if we're being real, family, because gosh, this definitely is where I fall, is when someone else comes to me with doubts or questions or, or just frank unbelief, maybe even aggressive unbelief, all of a sudden, I feel in my own spirit, it's like, well, okay, maybe it isn't that real. Maybe I didn't really feel it. Did I make that up? Like, is this just a facade that I, it's just a bunch of stuff I feel? And I think we tend to do that. But look at this passage. They watched a man come back to life, and the, the, the crowd splits. Some believe, some go away. In fact, they, the gall, they go away with the intent to kill him. Like, not only they didn't believe it, that's a whole nother level. I hope you don't have people who don't only, like, not only don't disagree, they're going to kill you because of it. If that happens, call the police, all right? The number's 911. Well, they didn't have that then, all right? In fact, the police were the bad people. They wanted to kill him because of his experience. But listen, if people have the capacity, and people haven't changed, FYI, if people have the capacity to see a man raised from the dead and still not believe, then why do we get discouraged when people don't respond to what Jesus is doing in our life? If we understand and learn from this passage and the Bible as a whole that humans have the capacity to see a man raised from the grave and still not believe it, we shouldn't get discouraged when they don't believe us. We shouldn't. Because this has been going on all through history. And, and we can actually look at this and say, like, man, some people, it wouldn't matter what you told them. 
it wouldn't matter what they saw. In fact, I've heard this uh, popularly said before that there are people who say like, I'd have to see God to believe him. Those are the same people who even when they saw him didn't believe him. Can we stop doing that? Can we stop letting people discourage us just because of their doubt? What you've seen, what you've felt, what you've experienced, what God's done in your life doesn't matter if God hasn't done it in their life yet. It doesn't matter if they're not there yet. That doesn't affect where you're at. That doesn't change where you're at. And I think we can see that in this passage. Someone needs to hear this today because you've been letting people speak into your faith who have no place to do so. Don't let people's doubts dictate your faith. Don't do it. That's not their place. They're not the ones who gave you the faith. God gave you that. They're not the one who sustains and holds up your faith. God does that. It's never been dependent on anyone else. So how can someone's words discourage us from something that they never dictated to begin with? Someone here needs to hear that today because you got people chirping at you. You got the internet chirping at you. You got people with a million different ideologies and ways of thinking chirping at you, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It never mattered. What matters is what God has done for you, through you, and in you. I want to give you a visual of, of kind of how we can think about this. Think about a photo. And I'm going to put one up in a second. But think about a photo. You went somewhere really cool, specifically maybe like a nature creation type place. You know, you went to the Grand Canyon. You went to the Redwoods in Cali. You went to the rainforest. You went somewhere, wherever you went. And it was beautiful. Maybe you just saw this sunset that was mind-blowing. You know what I'm saying? And, and what would you do? I took a picture on your Android 2. And it's pixelated and terrible. <laughs> and it's blurry because you're not good at taking photos. All right, but it was beautiful. You experienced it. You saw it. You felt it. I mean, it, I've been places that I'm in awe. I'm like, holy moly. Naturally, we want to capture it. We take a picture. Then we go to somebody. We're like, look where I went. Look at this. And there's a blurry, pixelated picture of a hole in the ground. And the person's not as excited as you are. In fact, they're like, this isn't a good picture. I don't even know what I'm looking at. And in your head, you're like, but it's beautiful. It was amazing. It was life-changing. Now, let me ask you. We've all experienced something like that, whether you showed the photo and someone wasn't as excited as you wanted them to be, or someone showed you the photo and you were like, this looks lame, I'm never going there. <laughs> now, why? Why do you go somewhere and it's amazing, and then you show a picture of that to someone else and it's never as good, it's never as exciting, and never, we always put it this way, right? It, it didn't really capture it, we say that, right? Why? Because you're the one who was there and experienced it. Now let me ask you this question, just because the person seeing your blurry Android 2 picture doesn't like it as much, does it change how amazing it was when you were there? If we were to go to the Grand Canyon, show someone a bad picture of it, they weren't as excited, does that change at all the awesomeness of the Grand Canyon? No. In our faith, when you experience something amazing, just because someone else can't see it as clearly does not change how amazing it is. Let me give you an example. I'm going to put up a picture. Picture me and my daughter. This is at Lake Redmond. Stop it. <laughs> I know I'm cute. <laughs> oh, you were talking about her? <laughs> so I remember this picture vividly. We had gone to Lake Redmond, um, and, and we've been a lot of beautiful places. For some reason, this picture stuck out to me when I thought about an example. The reason I remember this vividly is not only because the sun was setting. We're in Lake Redmond. My, water, my daughter walked into the water like full pants. She tends to do that. I think she had her shoes on too, but whatever. But I remember a couple things about this instance. One, it was beautiful. If you can just caught, caught a candid, we weren't posing. This was a candid, okay? This was real time. 
And uh, no, we took it yesterday for the purpose of this. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is like years old. But uh, I'm looking out and I remember thinking like, wow, like the sun setting over this massive lake and the trees and Route 83 is kind of messing it up, Interstate 83, but that's okay. And then my daughter, who's one at the time, this was a couple years ago, as you can see, she's looking up at me. And I just remember thinking multiple things like, like this is my, this is my little kin right here. You know what I'm saying? This is like my seed standing next to me, enjoying this together. Like it's a moment. She's clearly like loving the experience with me. And there's just so many pieces of it that were uh, just beautiful and, and a, a valuable experience for me. Something I remember just a little thing, right? Well, if I show you this picture, you can't even see the sunset I'm talking about. Like the trees just look like a green blur. She looks like a tiny little human that shouldn't be in the water. Do you know what I mean? Like the moms in the room are like, why are her pants on? Take this little girl's shoes off. You know what I'm saying? Like you see the picture. You, you see what I experienced through a different lens. But, but here's the difference. I was there. It meant something to me. In fact, in this instance, and similar to both other instances and I'd say our faith, because faith is so personal, I experienced something in that moment that no matter what, you couldn't experience. In fact, you could be there with me, and you would not have experienced the same thing as me. That is how God works. Your faith experience is personal to you. That's the beautiful thing about our God is God is so personal. Every single person's faith in this room is different, unique, special. So when we let other people look into the photo of our faith and try to tell us what it should or shouldn't be and let that discourage us, we're getting it wrong. We're getting it wrong because that's yours. That's your experience. That's your faith. That's what God has taught, told, and, and gotten you through. And we can't let, we have to stop doing it today, letting other people who haven't seen the picture, who haven't experienced it, who can't understand what you understand, discourage what we experienced and what we know to be true in this instance in this passage they're doing the same thing and I think for us we need to stop doing it it should be an encouragement now to us that there's always going to be people who even after seeing something amazing won't choose Jesus and and the scripture is good and it tells us that it's God's uh, wish right it's his will that everybody would come to know him but also what does scripture tell us that tons of people won't choose him And we see it all the way into Revelation when Jesus comes back. It even says when he comes back, people still won't choose him. When we know that and acknowledge that, it's going to lessen the discouragement when other people don't believe what we believe. Because we expect it. We know it's going to happen. And that can actually be an encouragement to our faith. But as as if this, like, isn't wild enough that they saw it and walked away, the seeming insanity, if you will, Continues in the very next verses, verses 47 through 48. Check these out. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. This is right after people had went to Tattletail, and we don't really get it. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? Listen to this. For this man performs many signs. The irony is dripping. We'll talk about it, though. And then verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come, and this is, this is where we, this is it. This, this, like, this depicts the human problem and take away both our place and our nation. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Here's the second thing I think we can pull out about what not to do in order to grow in our faith, and it's this. Selfish ambition steals from spiritual life. Selfish ambition will steal from your spiritual life. These guys, these Pharisees, and again, we we say this a lot, these were the religious people. 
the ones who were supposed to get it, the ones who were supposed to understand, they were so worried about their positions, their hierarchy, their status, that they missed out on the Son of God. How about this? They were so focused on their life that they missed out on true life. They were so focused on their life that they missed out on the person who called himself true life. But I think this happens to all of us if we're going to be real. Not just like the religious people in this passage. I think Christians and non-Christians alike, like even as faith-filled people, there's parts of our faith that we probably miss because of our own personal ambitions. And even worse, I think that there's tons and tons and tons and tons of people similar to this who miss Jesus completely and solely due to them wanting it their own way. Wanting it focused on what they wanted it to be about and how they wanted it to go and how they thought things should shake out. They wanted their schedules. They wanted their ideas and plans. And I think we can all say yes and amen. We've done it too. But like when it comes to specifically a, a non-believer, right, someone who doesn't buy this at all, how often do we hear these two specific things or some form of it? One, I don't like Christianity because all the rules, right? Maybe not that exact phrase, but something to that effect. It's just a list of rules, there's just, a, you know, you're being controlled. It's just so many. I mean, I had a big argument with someone dude one time, and it was an argument. I don't know if I handled it great, okay? I got frustrated. But you're trying to tell me all about how the church has only ever existed to control people. How many of y'all feel controlled versus how many of y'all feel free in here? Oh, come on. Yeah. Anyways, he didn't get it. I shouldn't have let that discourage me. Relevant. But yeah, I don't like it because it's all the, all, all the rules. All right, and how about this one? I'm too busy for church. I'm too busy for all that stuff. What's, what's, come like, what's in common with those two things? Which again, maybe somebody wouldn't outwardly say I'm too busy for church, but when you don't show up because you're doing stuff all the time, you're too busy for church. Yes, that's what's in common. It's all about you. It's all about your ambitions, what you want, what you need, how you want it, what you think about it. Selfish ambition is stealing from those people's spiritual opportunity. Selfish ambition is stealing from the spiritual life that God wants them to have. Now, insert us. As faith-filled people, and maybe some in here that are just curious and we're glad you're here, how often do we maybe miss out on what God has for us in our spiritual life because we're too worried about what we want and how we want to go about it and what we want to do and what we have to achieve and accomplish today? I'm going to be honest. I don't know how many of y'all know anything about Enneagram, but I'm a three. I th exactly. <laughs> I th long story short, I thrive on accomplishment. <clears throat> I thrive on doing stuff and getting things done. That's how I feel good. It's how I feel like I've done something well. It it it's a lot of the times where I find my source of like fulfillment. That's not good. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But as someone who, who functions like that, I think we all do it in our own ways, but as someone who is aware that I thrive off of that if I'm not careful, it's easy for me to go about a day doing everything I want to do how I want to do it and then I get to the end of the day, and then maybe I do a two-minute devotional <laughs> before I go to bed so I could check off the Jesus list, right? How many times we go about days like that, do we think that we, honestly, we've completely missed the day of what God could have had for us all day long? Because I woke up with an agenda and things I knew I had to do, and that's what I did all day. Meanwhile, I didn't talk to God for a single second about what he wanted me to do today. So it's not just for unbelievers, I don't think, who, who are missing out holistically. I think we can miss out on more of a micro level as Christians because of selfish ambition, personal ambition. And, and to clarify, personal ambition is not bad. Be ambitious. God wants you to go do stuff. Like, he's, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers, right? That's what he says. But it's about who we're doing it for. 
You do a lot of stuff. We all do a lot of stuff. It's about who you're doing it for. Selfish ambition can steal from spiritual life. <clears throat> but I think with these types of questions, you know, well, I don't like it because of the rules or I'm too busy or blah, 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 to fill in the blank. As someone who, like, my job is people, almost every person I meet with who either, like, doesn't believe this at all, like, doesn't buy it, just, just thinks it's a crock, or isn't really willing to or doesn't want to commit the time or maybe struggles with a lot of doubts or, or just frankly doesn't care about any of it, there's, a, like, a common theme in all of them, and it's this. They're far too focused on something else. And it usually doesn't take a long time to figure out what it is. So, like, when you're going through stuff, which we all do or whatever, usually you can look into the life of your own self or other people and be like, okay, well, what's your day look like? And they say how your day went. All right, well, one thing sticks out that you did way too much of. What it is for you, I don't know, fill in the blank. But that's been getting way too much of your time. That's why God's not getting a lot of your time. It's usually just because we're selfishly pursuing something rather than him. And it's stealing from us. I want to give you an example because these guys in this passage were so focused on themselves that even though they had just watched a man get raised from the dead, they still didn't believe it. I wonder how many times God's resurrecting something around us and we miss it because we're not looking because we're far too focused on something else. I might have missed a resurrection yesterday because I wasn't paying attention. And I'm speaking metaphorically, but maybe not. Maybe there's dudes walking out of tombs and I'm just like, hey, what's up, buddy? Good morning. I keep going with my day. <laughs> Maybe we're missing it. Let me give you an example, though, in my life. Now, I want to clarify, I've gotten this wrong a lot, meaning I focus on unhealthy stuff, and, I, and there's times where I just don't even think about God till the end of the day, and I'm like, what the heck did I do all day? I don't even know. I just coasted through life. But I do want to give an example that I think I made the right decision, and the fruit of that spiritual life was massive, and it, it was the Grove. So the Grove is our young adult ministry. I talk about it all the time. Um, we have Awaken and the Grove. Shout out my young people. Come, bring friends. I right, Tuesday nights. Cool. I'm not allowed to do that. I think I'd just do it anyways, but the Grove, back to it. And it was three years ago we launched this, I think, two or three, two-ish, three. I'm not good at timelines, but whenever we launched it, at the time I was still playing uh, semi-professional soccer. So if you know anything about me, soccer is a passionate ambition of mine. I've played it my whole life, all through college, up into the MPSL, all right? <clears throat> and I was a, like a captain the year that it was optionally brought up, like, hey, we could launch young adult ministry. And I, I had felt God had started stirring like this might be your thing to lead at the time. And we got closer and closer. We started having meetings, started planning. We, we started feeling like, yeah, we need to launch this. Like there's a gap here. We got a, long, a lot of young adults and nowhere that, for them to go. And it got basically put on the plate like you're leading this or it's not happening. <laughs> Those are the two options. And again, at the time I was playing soccer, we practiced like four times a week and it's up in Hershey. So like I'm driving, you know, it's a ton of driving. It's a huge time commitment or whatever. And I realized quickly we were going to launch the Grove in June, and the season was in June, started in June. So it was like, you know, it lined up poorly. And I had to make the decision that I really loved soccer, and I did not want to retire. Like, I wanted to keep playing. It's, something, it's a passion of mine, it's, it's, and it's not a bad thing. So fill in the blank for you. Like, what do you love? What are you passionate about? That was it for me. And, and for months, I debated, like, I kind of want to keep playing soccer, like, Screw this ministry. You know what I'm saying? And, and as I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, I was like, God's like, yeah, you're going to have to quit. You're going to have to quit. And it was really, really hard. I'm just going to be honest. And I did. I'm not giving me credit because I didn't want to. I quit. We launched the Grove. Now, here's why I bring this up. Had I chosen to continue playing soccer and maybe push the Grove off, you know, we'll start it in a couple years. We don't need to do it now. Had I made that choice, 
what I would have missed out on would have been way bigger than just starting a ministry. There was a ton of spiritual life and fruit still occurring because of selfish ambition being put to the side. Now, let me give you just a list of examples of spiritual fruit, spiritual life that has happened due to a choice of getting rid of a certain level of selfish ambition. I'm a very selfish person, but like this instance, I did it okay. Here's a list. An amazing community, first and foremost. Right now, we got like 50, 55 young adults every Tuesday who just love each other. Like it is the most organic, awesome environment. A great community. Growth in my own personal leadership. New amazing friendships. There are people in my life right now who I did not know before the Grove that I met through the Grove who are like best friends of mine now. How about multiple deep spiritual personal encounters? Tons of new things that have been enlightened by God to me through the Grove. Young adults finding a home who didn't have one before. Dozens of young adults either finding faith for the first time or growing in their faith to new extents. Multiple awesome outreach events where people were blessed and young people being given like specific leadership opportunities that would have never happened otherwise. And the list honestly goes on and on and on. My point is this, had I chose to stick with my own personal selfish ambition, I would have missed years of that spiritual life. Now, I was gonna see if anybody else was gonna clap. <laughs> Now, let me ask this. What are we missing? In the same way, these people were missing it bad because of their personal ambition, because they didn't want their place taken away or their nation taken away. What maybe have for years we've missed out on because of selfish pursuits? What have maybe I've been missing out on for years, maybe even like years because of selfish things I've chosen day in and day out? And God had something different. God wants something new. God has spiritual things for me and a spiritual life for me that I'm literally missing out on. And I think about something like this example where I've luckily made the right, you know, not luckily, God's good, made the right decision and I see years of spiritual fruit. But what have I not done? What have I not chosen? That's had me missed out on stuff like that. What's it for you, you think? Like, think about it. Like, the question really is just, what do you pursue a lot? What are you too focused on? What do you, where do you spend too much of your time what selfish ambition do you like wake up every morning and want to achieve? And maybe God's saying like, dude, this is how you're missing out on what I have for you. In the same way that these people, it even says in verse 47, this man performs many signs. They acknowledged that he was doing amazing things and, and still didn't go with it. Still didn't walk with him. Still didn't believe in him because selfish ambition, because of their place and their nation. What's it for you? What have you been pursuing that's going to make you miss it? What do you want and desire and pursue so much that it, it might be stealing from your spiritual life? And are you willing to let it go? Because in the end, it's one thing to acknowledge it. It's another thing to let it go, but acknowledgement's the first step, right? So let's be thinking on that, praying on that, for God to enlighten to us maybe something new that he's saying, this was never for you, and it's making you miss on what I have for you. But not surprisingly, if, as we continue into this passage and kind of hit this last little piece we're going to talk about, <laughs> we continue to read the failures of the Pharisees. We're only four verses in, and they've made just a massive debacle of this whole thing. But the failures continue immediately, and I think there's one more thing we can pull out uh, about basically what not to do, but it comes out of verses 49 through 52. 49 through 52. So we're just going to continue right on, and it says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, so he's the head honcho religious dude. He's the one who should get this the most. And just check this out. We're gonna, said to them, you know nothing at all. Pause. I was actually like studying into this a little bit. And I, like my first thought was like, that's, that was rude. It was my first thought, even outside of getting spiritual about it. I was like, that's rude. And then I was reading about like the, the Sadducees, uh, Sadducees, 
or however you say that, and was who these dudes were. And literally, apparently, it's like historically known that they were like really rude to each other, which is so funny that the religious people who were supposed to be like leading the church and stuff were known for being rude to each other. So he is being rude. So we can take that in context. Let's say it like that. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Okay, actually, when me and Ben talked through this, I I had been thinking about it wrong, because this confused me. Like, so you're telling me this man is getting this horribly wrong, but he also knew God enough that he could prophesy about Jesus and get it right? Like, I don't understand. This is my, none of this makes any sense to me. But as we like processed and kind of looked into the language a little bit, like this dude, the, the high priest Caiaphas, he was like, he's in the middle of the single biggest blunder of all time. Like, there's not a bigger one. He was in the process of killing like the son of God. Now granted it was supposed to happen, but he's the dude just messing this thing up because he's the high priest, right? So he's in the middle of the biggest blunder of all time. They've literally just acknowledged that this guy, Jesus, is doing all these things and like turns out this guy's actually the son of God and somehow it makes sense to them to be like, so let's kill him. Okay, he raised a man from the dead. He's saying he's God. He's doing a lot of cool signs. Let's kill him. All right, so that's where they're at. Like, it's this massive blunder, and amidst this terrible decision-making process, Caiaphas has the gall to tell all these other guys, you know nothing at all. Now, what can this mean to us? Like, what can this show us about ourselves? (laughs) Because this is bad. Like, if you really look at what's going on here, this is bad. It's the biggest blunder in the history of the world, of the history of eternity. And then somehow this man has the gall to also tell his other fellow people getting it wrong that they don't know anything. Like, you, you're dumb, basically, is what he said to them. Like, not only has he just been given this prophecy by God about what was going to happen, he got a prophecy of it and still didn't get it. Like, God had used him to, to literally be like, Jesus is going to die for the nation. Now, we know what that means. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We got the, the New Testament now. And Jesus has come and done what he does, and that's why we're here talking about it. He literally has all of this access, has seen God directly, it has been spoken through God about what's going to happen, and he somehow thinks that the prophecy is for him. Like, Jesus is going to die so you can keep your spot. Like, this man has to die for you to keep your nation, to keep, and that's what he thinks the prophecy is about. He literally believes, so it goes right back to the the selfish ambition thing. So focused on himself, gets a prophecy of the Son of God dying for all of us, and believes it's somehow about himself. And he has the gall to say to them, y'all know nothing, this guy's going to die so that we don't have to. My man was getting this all kinds of wrong, but here's what I want us to take from this is similar to this man just getting it real, real bad, real, real wrong. How often are we just real, real wrong? How often are we just getting it all kinds of wrong? This guy, and here's where my point's going to come out of it, thought he knew this to the point where even though he was getting it massively incorrect, had the prideful, arrogant spirit to tell everybody else that they knew nothing. Here's what I think we can pull about what to not do. It's good to know how little we actually know. I was like studying this and I was trying to think of like a super spiritual theological way to attack this. And I was like, I need, I need an alliterative, nice Christian point. 
I need something to sound good and, 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 you know, I need to sound like a theology nerd. I couldn't come up with anything. All I could think about was, like, my man just needed to know that he doesn't know squat. That's all he needed. The best thing Caiaphas could have had in this instance was some godly humility to know he knows nothing. And it's good to know how little we really know. Because my immediate thought when I was reading it, I was getting like judgmental of him, right? And I'm like, dude, it is crazy how wrong you're getting this. Like you aren't even in the same planet. Like you are on Mars trying to eat at a McDonald's. It doesn't make any sense. That didn't make sense. That's the point. None of this makes any sense. And then my, my next immediate thought, which I'm sure was a God thought, was how often do I do that exactly? Like, how often am I all kinds of wrong about stuff? How often, listen, do I get rude towards someone because I'm convinced I'm right, but I'm not? How often do I get just indignant about somebody saying something when they were actually right and I was wrong? How often am I just frankly the wrong one when I'm convinced I'm right? In fact, how, how about this one? Like, have you guys ever had this where you are so sure that you're right about something? Someone pulls it up on Google, you were wrong. But you were so sure and so passionate, you kept arguing about it even after seeing the statistics that you were wrong. I have done that. I would like convince about something. I'm like, no, you literally don't know what you're talking about. This is what it is. And they're like, do, 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 do. Google, Google beyond, you know, pff, messing us all up. Shows me that I'm wrong. And I kept arguing. I was like, I don't think that's a good source. Look it up somewhere else. In fact, let me look it up. And then I look it up in a way that's going to say what I wanted to say. We all know. How often do we do stuff like that? Like how many times in life am I just convinced I know something, convinced something has to be a certain way? And how often, just like Caiaphas here, when he wasn't even close, are we just way off and it's messing stuff up? Now, what type of things does this mess up? Maybe relationships. How, how many divorces would not have happened if we just got over needing to be right? If we realize we don't know a lot about a lot, and that's okay. Relationships would be healthier. I mean, gosh, let's go big picture. How many wars would not have been fought if somebody could have just conceded that they don't know it all and that's okay? I think of how many interpersonal connections I've watched fall apart because people think they know everything when they're both wrong. How often do we do this? How oft, maybe in your life right now, you've got just scenarios and people and situations that because you or them or both, probably both, are so intent that you're right and stuck on thinking you know it all, that it's just messing everything up. And in the end, it doesn't matter if you are right or wrong. It never mattered if you were right or wrong. But it all comes down to thinking we know everything. And Caiaphas here is, is this, he's important and he's got this like a, a high arching position and all this stuff. All the things you'd think, yeah, like let's listen to him. And yet he knows nothing. He knows so little. And the, the arrogance to even tell other people that they don't know anything. But I just, I can't help but look. And, and like how often do we do that? How often are we just 10,000% certain and convinced about something? We argue it aggressively and, and what does it do? Let me ask this question. Has being right in an argument ever done anything for anybody in this room? Or do you usually just like feel awkward afterwards? <laughs> you ever been in those arguments where you're right and then afterwards it doesn't even feel good to be right because things are just awkward now and you don't want to talk and you just fought for three hours about something that never mattered to begin with? Like, I don't know about you, I'll be like, yeah, I was right. Now we got to make up for 24 hours. <laughs> Waste my own time. 
And it all comes down to me and thinking I know everything. And what, like, what is that? Let's boil it down. What is it? Pride. And what does what does God say about pride? Gosh, let's just go down the list, right? We don't know a lot, and that's okay. In fact, I think today we can leave like with a healthy understanding of like, I don't end, like I understand that I don't understand. It's healthy and good to know that you don't know. I think there would be so many things that would just be better in life if we could go into a situation and someone was like, well, what about this? I don't know. Let's move on and get to something more important. <laughs> I don't know. And it's okay. Like, like in, in, in the end, it's godly humility that's going to do that for us, right? But what if, it, what if we looked like that? What if we were people who went out and just, we, we killed arguments rather than starting them? We, we didn't need to be right all the time about everything. We didn't feel like we needed to know everything. So then we don't end up being like Caiaphas in the biggest blunder of all time, still telling other people that they don't get it. But we have that in us. That's the human nature, to want to be right, to want to be in control, to want to know everything. And it's good to know how little we actually know. So I think today we can leave with the Pharisees like as our literal example of what not to be like. That it's good to realize we don't know it all, but listen, we know the one who does. Right? We know the one who does, so we don't need to know it. And there's a freedom in realizing that, that God has it covered and we don't have to have it all figured out. And that's going to avoid us from having issues like, like this hot mess of people in here. So what is it today for you? What's that thing, the selfish ambition that maybe just day in and day out you've been pursuing it and pursuing it and maybe it's been stealing from years of spiritual life that God wanted for you and what's the thing maybe that you are just stuck to that you know and, and nobody else does and you get it and nobody else gets it and maybe today you just got to take that thing and realize we don't know it all and we can ask him maybe starting today to give us the humility to walk in a way that selfish ambition isn't stealing from us and we're willing to give it up to him. We're willing to uh, give away whatever that thing is that's been holding us back from more of him, but also that the things we hold so tightly that we're right about, that we know about, that we are the key source of information, whatever, however we feel about these things, maybe today's the day to give that up and be like, it's okay to not know because I don't want to end up like them. <laughs> we don't want to be like them. That's our goal today, to not be like them. It's good to know how little we actually know. So the work of Jesus, we can be encouraged today, will attract some and deter others. And other people's photo isn't what you experienced, and that's okay, and that can be encouraging. Selfish ambition is going to steal from your spiritual life, so what is that for us? And again, it's good to know how little we actually know, and there's freedom in that because we know the one who knows it all. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good, and we thank you for you this morning. We thank you that we don't need to know it all because you do. We thank you that you are the source of truth, so if we go to you and ask that, there will be an understanding that can be given to us that only you can bring. I ask for the things in our lives that we've been pursuing, uh, maybe unhealthily, or we've been putting in front of you. you would just, we can't do it ourselves, God. We ask that today you would help us, whatever those things are for each of us, that would begin to give them up to see the spiritual life and the spiritual fruit that you want for us. That we could look back uh, days, weeks, months, and years from today and say, hey man, I made the decision to give that up and look what it's done. Look what God, look what you've done through the decision to get that up. I pray for the, the person in this room who's been discouraged because of other people's comments or thoughts about their faith. Would that just be gone in this moment? To know that it never mattered what they thought because our faith is personal between us and you. 
and we've experienced you, we've seen you, we've felt you, and that can't change. Would we leave encouraged today to know that you're working in us, for us, and through us? You are good, we love you, and we're going to spend time worshiping you now because of how good you are. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. wanted it to be shorter oh, you did? yeah I, my message has been long lately <laughs> actually Wednesday was pretty good we kept we tried to keep that one really short yeah like please here's the thing if I prep if I prep for 45 minutes it is yeah so I need to prep for less so this one I tried to prep for more like 30 I don't know how long it was but it was shorter I think and